Going through a divorce is daunting and can make you feel financially vulnerable. Ampla Finance can help. Unlike other loans, there's no need for any ongoing monthly repayments. You're only charged loan interest on the amount of money used to pay your solicitor's fees as your case progresses, and the easy-to-use online tool keeps you in full control throughout the process. Your loan is normally repaid in full when you reach settlement, so between now and then, you have peace of mind that the cost of your divorce won't impact your day-to-day -day needs. Ampla Finance puts you at the heart of everything they do and can help you to make the fresh start you're looking for. To find out more, click the link in the podcast description or visit www.amplifinance.com. Hello and welcome to the Smart Divorce Podcast. This podcast is for you if you're thinking of separating, already separated or going through divorce. My name is Tamsin Kane and I'm a Chartered Financial Planner. We'll speak to some fantastic specialists who can help you to get through your divorce, hopefully amicably, and start your new chapter positively. Now over to today's guest. Hello and welcome to the Smart Divorce podcast. I'm delighted to be joined today by Jana Lezeki. Jana is the director at O'Donnell Solicitors in Oldham. She's previously worked at a number of city centre law firms in Manchester and has many years experience in family law. Jana, welcome. Hello. So we're going to talk today about using the uh, traditional family lawyer route to go about sorting out your divorce. So perhaps let's start at the beginning. What's the best way to go about choosing your lawyer? I think it's always best if you go down the recommendation route. So try and speak to people that you know may have been down the process and ask them who they used. Um, I think a, a, another key thing to do is lots of research. Um, you know, it's always worth if, if a solicitor is offering a 3.30 minutes, having a meeting with them to see if you feel comfortable with that solicitor or picking up the phone and trying to ring you. Um, so you can feel like you were a good fit for them. There's also directories like Legal 500 and Chambers. And, and most listers also have, have, have good websites um, with lots of information there about themselves. And, and they tend to include blogs and articles. So have a read of them. They may also do Twitter. Just see if that particular solicitor fits with you and, and, and how you feel about things and if you feel you can work with them. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with going to more than one solicitor. Um, and many of us naturally now expect that. Yeah, it's a good idea to make sure that you get on with your solicitor because you're going to have to work with them for some time, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if court proceedings prove necessary, it can be 12 to 18 months, sometimes longer. So you don't want to be in a situation where you don't feel comfortable with your own solicitor and don't have confidence in them. They are two things to make sure uh, you feel uh, OK with early on because of, because of the time frames. That's good advice. So if a client's coming to see you for the first time, how can they best prefer, prepare for a meeting with you? Um, there's no actual necessity for any preparation whatsoever. It's good if they have some knowledge of the financial situation because that then means they can get the best out of the meeting. But it's not the be-all and end-all. Information can be given 
by um, them having just a, a rough idea at that, that early stage. And some general advice can be given, if not specific advice, depending on how much that person knows. Okay, because it's not unusual for one uh, of the couple to have their financial experience and look after all the money and the other one to have no idea about about what's what. So it, it doesn't matter if, if they don't know where they stand financially, they should still mm-hmm. come and see you. Absolutely, yeah. No, it doesn't matter whatsoever. Um, we still live in an age where one person generally takes control of finances. It's not always the man. It's not always um, the woman. There's no set person, actually. Um, it's just the way that things are. So it doesn't matter whatsoever. If you do want to do some research, then, you know, um, just bring your bank statements in. If you've got mortgage redemption statement, all that kind of information is helpful. But as I say, it's not necessary for a first meeting, but the information will be needed down the line. Okay. And um, what can a client come and see you expect will happen in the first meeting? How does it usually go? Um, I generally start off my first meetings with a bit of a fact find. So I'm trying to get some basic information about the clients when they've been spoken of file, but to also give them some advice because what I want clients to do is leave having feel having felt like they've had really informative meeting and they know where they're heading with this and they know the different options available to them. So for me, it's about finding out about them and their situation to give them some advice and to give them all the input information about the situation in terms of options um, and then also information about costs and then they can then go away and decide how they want to proceed but they're doing that having had the information to know um, what's best for them. So they won't leave your office with all the answers but you should be able to put their mind at rest a little bit about the process is that fair to say? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you generally don't know all the answers until there's been a disclosure process, but certainly um, you can come to a first meeting, get a good idea of how the divorce process works, a good idea of how the financial process works and some advice about what kind of financial settlement they'd be looking at upon divorce. Um, It may not be, as I say, specific, but it could be general depending on the information they can give about themselves and their spouse. Okay, and after the first meeting, let's assume that they thought you were fabulous like we do and they wanted to move forward. What happens next? Um, I generally send a retainer letter after a first meeting, which sets out how I work and about costs. Um, I also would send a letter of advice or a file note of the meeting. So um, they've got in writing what's been discussed and what the advice is. And it it will set out generally how the divorce works, the different options available for divorce and how finances work and the different options for dealing with finances. When they then get that letter, they sign it, send ID documentation back. And I will generally ask them to confirm how they wish to proceed. So from then, it could be we start the divorce and we'll know the base upon which we're starting it and we'll know which route we're going down with finances, whether it's a voluntary financial exchange or whether we're potentially straight into court proceedings. And obviously that is if they've decided against other options that are available, such as mediation and collaboration at stage. Okay, so talk me through when you might go for a voluntary 
exchange of information and when you might go straight to court proceedings? Thanks. So um, voluntary exchange is where you are trying to deal with it generally amicably and you have some confidence, I'd say, that the other person is going to be sensible about the situation. So that's when you generally would go down the route of voluntary exchange. And what happens is, as a solicitor, we'd at an early stage write to the spouse's solicitor or the spouse if they're acting in person and suggest the date which certain financial information is going to be exchanged. Uh, they then come back and say whether they agree that date or not. And then what happens is we collate or I collate financial information for my client, get it all together, and then I send it in the post via email on that particular day. And on that same day, I should receive their spouse's documentation. And at that point, we can then see if we've got everything to, to basically advise the, the client um, as to what their financial settlement would be. And if not, um, then it could be that we have to raise a questionnaire asking for additional information. And when it's court proceedings, what you sometimes find is um, if you are not receiving all the documentation you'd expect in a voluntary exchange, that would be the time to go down the court route, if not before. Um, people tend to go down the court route when uh, perhaps they need maintenance right away or the other side is hostile and they know that it's very unlikely they're going to reach an agreement or they've tried other methods of, of, of dealing with matters and it's just not worked. If you go down the court route, you are ordered to exchange financial disclosure by way of a form A, which is a, a detailed document in which you give lots of information, lots of supporting documentation about your financial situation. And is that document sometimes used for voluntary exchange as well? Yeah, um, solicitors deal with it in different ways. Some solicitors like to use a for me with the supporting documents and some solicitors just produce, want you to produce a list of documents um, and the documents tend to be those that support a for me. So you produce a list and, and the supporting documents and exchange those. So in terms of what it encompasses, you're looking at a mortgage redemption statement, um, if you've had valuations, you would include those um, 12 months worth of bank statements. Um, you'd also include uh, any kind of policies which you've got a value, like life insurance policies, um, any uh, liabilities you may have. You may include credit card statements, etc. cetera, um, cash equivalent transfer values for pensions. If you're employed, three months worth pay slips, a P60, a P11D, if you're in a company, um, two years worth of accounts. So there's quite a substantial list of documentation to be exchanged. Um, and, and that's basically um, what would happen. You would, you would collate those documents and then send them to your spouse's solicitor. But you're only sending the information that relates to you, aren't you? You're not expected to... Uh, collect any information or, or you're not supposed to collect any information from your of your spouse's information are you it's just your own yeah it's just your own information or any joint um asset information 
Um, because some people think the other spouse will provide the information. They don't always do. So it's always worth you providing your joint information as well as your own information. Um, it doesn't matter that you don't know about the other person's finances um, in detail as they should disclose their financial situation. And, yeah, there are very strict rules about um, taking documentation belonging to a spouse. So um, be careful about doing that. And, and that's a situation where you definitely need to speak to a solicitor. Okay. And what about if you suspect that your spouse isn't going to be honest about the information that they provide about the finances? Um, that's the, generally the situation where we say you could, it could be worth you going down the court route um, because you've then got the weight of the court behind you and request the information. And in terms of the request for the information, that generally occurs after an exchange of forms. So you raise a questionnaire, setting out what other information and documentation you require to, to have a, the full picture about your spouse's situation. And if you're going down the court route, at that first hearing, a judge would consider what questions you wish to raise to ensure that they are reasonable and proportionate. Okay. And what happens, let's go back to the voluntary exchange. So you receive the information from the spouse's solicitor on the same day as they receive the information from you. What happens after that information is exchanged? Um, if all the financial information is there, so you're not into the, the necessity of drafting questionnaires, that's the stage where you can start giving your clients specific advice about financial settlement so upon divorce, you have financial claims for capital income and pensions. Um, so you can tell your client what, what they expect to um, walk away with on the basis of those claims at that stage. Or you can tell them whether or not if an offer's come forward, whether that should be accepted by them. And if that's in the range that you'd expect a court to order, all the advice that I give and all solicitors should give is, is on the basis of what a court would order in their situation. Okay, but it's not an exact science, is it, working out how how finances should be split? So how do you help with, with sorting those out and with deciding what happens? No, it, it's not. It is about looking at the individual situation. So um, it depends on which factors you're applying. So, for example, on a capital claim, the starting point is 50-50, and you then look at what are called Section 25 factors to support and move away from that basis. Those factors include duration of marriage, um, earning capacity, borrowing capacity. Uh, and the, the factor which actually we most hear about if the situation is one where the parties haven't got a particular lot of assets, most cases would be decided on the basis of need. And that's a consideration of what a person needs, a practical sort of consideration of housing, uh, borrowing capacity and, uh, and those kind of things. So it's a, it's a matter of us as solicitors applying our knowledge and our experience to an individual's cases to work out what kind of settlement would be achieved on their individual circumstances. So you're looking at the whole picture in terms of their assets and situation and the range of them. So you talked about um, borrowing capacity. So is it important for clients to um, take some advice from, for example, a mortgage advisor to see what they could borrow? 
Absolutely, yeah. If the situation is one where it's looking like they'll have to um, purchase a property uh, because the matrimonial home, let's say, is going to have to be sold, then it is worthwhile to taking some advice from a mortgage advisor um, and actually advice from an IFA generally about the financial situation so that they have a clear um, idea of, uh, of how best to achieve the kind of settlement as well that they wish to achieve. Um, so it is certainly worth getting some advice from professionals like yourself because, you know, ultimately solicitors are there to give legal advice and not financial advice. But we, of course, do tell people the kind of settlement they're looking to achieve and then send them to the appropriate expert. Yeah, that's that's really good. I mean, we've worked together a couple of times and I know clients I've worked with, it's they get an offer and they don't, if they've never dealt with finances before, they don't necessarily understand what that means to them in the um, whole picture of, of their future lifestyle. So we've certainly um, helped a number of people on that. Yeah, we've still, it comes back to what we were saying before about this and you've still got situations where one, one spouse takes charge of the finances. So it can be a really daunting experience if you've never dealt with finances to suddenly be told what your financial situation is going to be because you just don't know how to handle it. And that's why it's so important people seek the advice. No, absolutely. Totally agree with that. Okay. So often um, I think the traditional lawyer route is sometimes misrepresented and um, and people think, well, it'll automatically be a bum fight and end up in court and cost tens of thousands of pounds. But you can work with um, clients to resolve things amicably through this route, can't you? Absolutely, yeah. And I think that's why it's important you're careful about choosing which solicitor you go for. Certainly, um, sensible solicitors will try and um, make sure that you do try and deal with matters amicably. Um, and voluntary disclosure um, shouldn't be seen as a hostile step anyway. And it shouldn't be seen as hostile going to a solicitor. Ultimately, they are there to help you. They have a duty to act in the best interest of the client. Um, so that means that they're giving you all the options, not the option, which means that you spend the most amount of money, which I know is the reputation some solicitors have. Um, and in terms of dealing with it amicably, um, solicitors can give you tips on how to deal with the divorce in a certain way that keeps the hostilities down. And also, as a side, dealing with matters financially on a voluntary basis is an amicable way of dealing with it naturally. It can be um, a quicker way of dealing with it because you you get a set procedure put in place by a solicitor in the same way you do with um, a court timetable. But obviously with the voluntary disclosure route, you haven't got necessarily the certainty that you're going to reach an agreement with court route you are. Yeah, no, definitely. So we've talked a lot about finances and, and how you'd go about dealing with those the other massive fear that clients have when they first um separate from a spouse is, is what the arrangements will be for the children I think um there seems to be a lot of fear around well I will my children be taken away from me will I will I not be able to see them anymore you know that somebody will will insist on certain arrangements being made how do you go about helping uh divorcing or separating couples to sort that out 
Yeah, I think what, what most people should be aware of is that the courts aren't going to become involved in dealing with any issue regarding their children unless an application is made or unless things are taken out of their hand, for example, by social services or the police getting involved. So in most cases, issues regarding the children are left to them to agree. Uh, and the courts encourage agreement when it comes to children because they won't want you going down the court route. They want you to, to, to try and resolve matters between yourselves because that's what's best for your children. Um, but of course, the court do recognise that that doesn't always work out and sometimes court proceedings are necessary. So if a client comes to me, I'll explain what I've just explained. And I also tell them um, how we'd go about resolving it either voluntarily again or through the court. So it could be if a person tells me their situation, I can make some recommendations and a proposal letter present to their spouse or their cohabitee, ex-cohabitee, um, putting, putting forward um, maybe um, some arrangements and seeing if they're acceptable or raising any issues. If matters can't be resolved in that way, it could be that they then go to mediation or through the courts. And you have to go to Miami as part of um, going through the courts unless there's an exception that applies. And, it, and if parents do have to go through the courts, the court are always looking to try and see if they can agree. And what's important to the courts and what they consider first and foremost is the child's welfare, because that's of paramount consideration to the courts. So it's all basically about doing what's best for the children. And at court, um, the first hearing, you meet with what's called a CAFCAS officer. And, and they are basically an independent organisation. Look at what's in the best interest of the children. What they do is to also try and help you reach an agreement. So the process is all geared to trying to help parents as opposed to causing conflict, even if it does end up in court. It's got to be more straightforward for the future if you can avoid uh, conflict at this stage, hasn't it? You mentioned yeah. a MIAM appointment um, but during that. What, what exactly is a MIAM appointment? A MIAM is what they call a mediation information and assessment meeting. So the, the law changed um, several years ago so that... In order to proceed through the courts, you had to have, whether this be children or finances, you had to have the application, a part of the application signed off by a mediator. So the court made it um, part of the application for you to go to a mediator for what they call a Mayan. And um, that's basically a meeting where a mediator assesses whether your case is suitable for mediation. And then depending on what that happens at that meeting, they, they, they then may invite um, the other side to attend, try and mediate it, or they might simply sign off the relevant section of your application to allow you to proceed through the courts. Ah, right. Okay. Thank you for clarifying that. Um, is there anything that else that we should be talking about this morning? I think the main thing to take away from this is that solicitors aren't to be feared. Um, a lot of people come through the door who are nervous because they've not been uh, through the situation before. And a solicitor should be there to help you and to give you advice. Um, so that you know where you're going with it all 
And it's important that you do take advice because you get one shot at sorting these things out um, when it comes to finances, that is. And um, you're best off doing it on a fully informed basis rather than having a situation where you may be struggling to deal with it yourself and it all goes pear-shaped and then seeking a solicitor. Because there are many situations that I've um, been told about or I've advised upon where people have acted for themselves and it has gone, unfortunately, very wrong. Yeah, no, that's really good advice. I, I can definitely vouch for the fact that certainly the family lawyers I know are definitely not scary at all. Um, <laughs> and, and they're very Why approachable. <laughs> yeah, they are not scary at all, Jana. <laughs> that's brilliant. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. I've really enjoyed that. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Smart Divorce Podcast. If you'd like details of our guests today or of myself so you can get in touch, please check out the programme notes. Many thanks. See you again soon.